0: The American Society of Clinical Oncology, otherwise known as ASCO, released its most recent State of Cancer Care in America report. And for all of us who are deeply invested in the health and well-being of patients with cancer, there are some messages from this report that we need to hear. This is ReachMD and I'm Dr. Matt Fernholz. Joining me today is our special guest, Dr. Clifford A. Huddis, President of ASCO. Dr. Huddis is also Chief of the Breast Cancer Medicine Service and an attending physician at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Dr. Huddis, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. Let's start with ASCO's recent report that I just mentioned called State of Cancer Care in America 2014. How did this report get developed and what kind of undertaking was it?
1: Well, this was really an attempt to reach just a deeper understanding of the scope and scale of practice in the United States in terms of cancer and also, therefore, to prepare ourselves better for all of the unfolding challenges we face. Simply put, in science and in policy and in planning, you can't really start to make adaptive changes if you don't actually know the problem. So we wanted to know, for example, how many oncologists are there? What kinds of practices are they in? What are the challenges that they perceive right now? What kinds of changes are they planning to make to adapt to changing conditions and so forth? These are the kinds of questions we wanted to understand.
0: So clearly this was a a big undertaking when we asked questions that broad. How many stakeholders were involved in the report's creation?
1: There were hundreds and hundreds of practices and thousands of doctors involved in this. They were the key stakeholders. And, of course, then ASCO staff in various departments who have expertise in regulatory policy and so forth all contributed as well. And
0: updating this kind of report must be quite the undertaking as well. Who does that?
1: This will be done by ASCO. Our commitment is to to really have this as a living document and to update it on, we expect, a yearly basis.
0: Why don't we get to the report specifics now? We'll get to the brass tacks of it. Because the starkest message appears to have come out of this report being that, that there's a growing crisis of supply and demand, you know, in which demand for cancer services is growing while the pool of trained clinicians is shrinking. So tell us about this problem and what you think from ASCO's perspective can be done to address it.
1: I have to say we're always a little bit careful in terms of predicting to the future. There are a lot of factors that can come into play that we might not anticipate. So I always want to point that out. But the best of our estimates are the following. About one in five American oncologists are at least thinking right now about the end of their career in terms of retirement or scaling back practice. Two, there's a lot of consolidation taking place right now, practices being swallowed up by larger practices or hospitals and so forth. Some practices may be closing while the docs continue to work but maybe are being relocated. All of this means that there is an uneven distribution of access to care already in the United States especially in rural areas And the second issue is that with the Affordable Care Act and with the aging of the population, as well as some concurrent health issues like obesity, we anticipate that there's going to be a shortfall of something like 1,500 oncologists in the coming years. And that means, based upon the fact that each cancer doctor tends to see about 300 new patients per year, that there might be up to a half million people, roughly, who face some challenges in accessing care in the years to come. And that, of course, assumes all of the current conditions that, that we see now, and it also assumes that there's no mitigating factors.
0: What kind of mitigating factors are we talking about?
1: Well, I, I don't know what kinds of changes could happen in the future about who renders care, how often patients are seen, and so forth. I'm just saying that that under the current conditions, this is what it looks like will will happen.
0: It sounds like quite a potential disparity in care if we're talking, as you put it, a half million number of people who might not get the kind of access, particularly in rural areas. What do you think could be done to address that kind of problem, spe- specifically in rural areas, for instance?
1: Yeah, well, there are a variety of issues here. I think one of the things we have to look at very carefully is how to make sure that reimbursement is not unfairly penalizing small and rural practices. There are a variety of ways in which that may be the case right now. There are demonstration projects that we're doing to look at alternative payment systems that might actually help to address that. And we'll see. We don't think that we should rush into any one system without testing it. Second thing is there are Other factors that need to be considered, the impact, for example, of the 340B pricing model, and this is a bit of a wonkish kind of issue, but it has some influence on the viability of practices, especially small independent ones that tend to be in certain rural areas. We are also, of course, actively developing our big data project, which is called CancerLink, and our goal there is to make it possible for small practices to thrive, delivering state-of-the-art, cutting-edge care in local communities, even though they historically may not have had the same access to that kind of information and data. This distributes best practices and standards of care and, and clinical decision support to those practices.
0: Well, Dr. Hades, I definitely want to get back to the cancer link area of conversation because that's a great area of focus for us. But one other area of interest for a number of our listeners is how the primary care physician fits into this evolving state of cancer care, especially as we strive toward better longevity and, of course, improved quality of life for cancer patients. Do you see an increased role for the primary care physician here?
1: This is a great question, and we we see an enhanced role for primary care docs in the years to come. And let me just highlight several reasons for this and then what we can do. Uh, The reasons for this are that we're curing more and more patients. More and more patients are living chronically with well-controlled cancer. And in many cases, like early-stage breast cancer, many patients are treated for up to a decade with post-operative adjuvant hormone therapy. These hormone therapies are in some cases FDA approved for purposes of preventing disease in the first place. And if they're approved for prevention, they're dispensed by primary care docs. There's really no reason that primary docs couldn't play an important role in monitoring the post-operative treatment of these patients who are by large measure and in large proportion cured. The second thing is that cancer centers and specialized care, they're overwhelmed, uh, these centers, in many cases, by the volumes of patients, and this may be something that only continues. So to the degree that we can teach the community to monitor those patients who are doing well and are stable on these kinds of especially oral medications. I think that this is a a role that primary care docs could play. One of the challenges always has been that many docs are sort of put off by the diagnosis of cancer. Once it's been made, they believe that the patient really is best served by being chronically in the hands of the medical oncologist. And we have an important, but I think obtainable task here to educate our primary care partners in terms of what signs and symptoms they need to refer back to medical oncology, what things they can manage themselves, how to be integrated into the teams that distribute this care. This is something that's not going to go away. This is something that's going to only become more and more of an issue. I wouldn't say problem. I would say
0: opportunity. That's excellent point. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm speaking with Dr. Clifford A. Huttis, president of ASCO, and we're discussing the state of cancer care in America. So, Dr. Hutt, it's clearly the way we treat cancer patients has changed significantly as treatment protocols grow more complex and, of course, personalized cancer care comes to the fore. Can you speak on how clinicians will need to change the way that they practice to accommodate all this progress?
1: Well, I think all groups of physicians will have to start to understand, that if you will, the new biology of cancer. What we're calling personalized cancer care, we're really calling precision care. We like to believe we all give personalized care, but the precision arises from the fact that increasingly we're using various kinds of omics. I mean up front it's genomics but of course proteomics transcriptomics and so forth all these factors may start to come into play in selecting specific treatments for specific patients these are redefining in some cases what we understand about the biology of the disease they are identifying really novel treatment angles and approaches. And all of this means, again, that the way we understood common cancers may be uh, changing. So there's going to be a whole lot of exciting new science for everybody to
0: incorporate. At every level, it sounds like, from the most specialized to the most primary care oriented, I would think. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Now, the report, of course, if we're talking back to the report, it talks about disparities of cancer care in this country. Tell us more about these disparities from your vantage point and where you think they stem from.
1: Well, unfortunately, we have a a long history of disparities in terms of socioeconomics with, uh, obviously, lower-income people, disproportionately people of color, and frankly, and in some cases, women and other groups that would receive lesser access to care. In some cases, this is made worse by pretty stark disparities in the kind of access that various insurance coverage can provide. There are ways in which this may get better with the Affordable Care Act, but it may not get better in all, if you will, regions. And so that's one issue. The other issue, which i alluded to before, is that there is a pretty big difference in the density of oncologists for cancer care in the developed and um, higher-income portions of the country, especially on the coast, versus some of the rural areas where the density of of oncologists really falls. And this, of course, leads to access to care challenges, and that in turn leads to disparities in terms of outcome potentially.
0: I think this helps us segue to some extent over to what you had mentioned before, this HIT-based learning health system that you're calling CancerLink, and that's spelled cancer and then L-I-N with a Q. Why don't we turn to that in the recent unveiling by ASCO of this initiative. What What is it? What do you see it adding to the state of cancer care today?
1: One of the really exciting developments of the last few years, which happened a little bit underneath our radar, is that most cancer care in the U.S. is now rendered in the guise of of electronic medical records or electronic health records. This transformation was done for lots of reasons, quality record keeping, accuracy, and so forth. But it has a hidden potential benefit for us, and that benefit is that we can start to mine that data. I want to just pause for a minute and point something out. When we use commercial services Google, online retailers like Amazon and so forth, they're constantly mining the data that we're putting in. The data, in our case, consists of choices, things we buy, and so forth. And they're finding things that we might prefer, that we might like based upon our past behaviors. What's interesting when you think about it, of course, is that we've never mined that kind of data in in medicine. We've limited ourselves, of course, to prospective randomized clinical trials, and especially in cancer, where we're very evidence-based. The problem is it only Only 3% of adults with cancer actually go on to research studies. And so we're missing out on a tremendous amount of information that we could potentially apply to either corroborate the results of clinical trials or arguably start to identify new hypotheses and so forth. That's just one example. Another example is. When you go to, to an online retailer like Amazon, not to plug them, I don't mean to, but you buy a book, it's distributed to you no matter where you are essentially on Earth now in seconds. Why can't we distribute information that same way? Why do we have to rely on travel or who you know to send an email to or, or make a phone call to? So CancerLink starts to collate all of the data that's being collected in all these disparate electronic medical records, it starts to identify patterns. Patterns in terms of care and outcomes, and it starts to deliver clinical decision support and real-time quality assessment at the patient's bedside, figuratively. And, and so it has the potential to be truly transformative in terms of cancer care, just the way those other businesses have been for so much of the American economy.
0: It's fascinating. Can you give us some examples of what kind of data points might be collected that could affect care right at the bedside?
1: To start with, We did a pilot study which aimed to include 30,000 patients with breast cancer. There was so much interest. We got 177,000 before we shut down the pilot. In the pilot, we were able to basically corroborate the results of randomized trials involving almost 20,000 patients testing duration of tamoxifen. For the uninitiated, these were trials that showed that 10 years of tamoxifen after surgery was better than 5, but those trials took many, many years and millions of dollars to conduct. What we did in CancerLink is just looked at the outcomes in these 177,000 patients, the subset, of course, who were given tamoxifen, and we were able to show that those people who took it for 10 years, which is not standard, did better than five and better than two. Again, I want to be very clear, especially for the scientific audience, this does not replace quality prospective clinical trials. But this is a nice way of maybe getting the answer and reassuring ourselves that the answer is correct faster than we did in the past.
0: That's excellent. And of course, the question will always come up in this day and age of safeguards for security in which data gets collected. How is cancer laying protected against any types of security threats that might involve breach of data?
1: First of all, project, so it's protected by all of the standard conditions that apply. And secondly, we have all the highest level security compliant with every code possible. And we have an entire data governance committee and a group of security experts who are making sure that we are adherent. Remember, we lose our credibility if we were ever to have any kind of breach. And so this is one of the most important aspects of our
0: project. Well, before we wrap up, just for our listeners' reference, how can we access the State of Cancer Care in America report that we talked about earlier, as well as CancerLink?
1: The easiest way is to just Google ASCO Cancer Care in America. But if you want the URL, it's actually www.asco.org forward slash practice dash research forward slash cancer dash care dash America.
0: Excellent. And how about CancerLink? How, how can that be accessed?
1: Same way, actually. So we, we have the domain names for CancerLink, so it's just CancerLink cancer link with a Q. or you can just go to ASCO forward slash cancer link, or you can Google cancer link and you'll find
0: it. Well, Dr. Huttis, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your insights on the state of cancer care in America. And
1: thank you so much for having
0: me. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Bernholz. If you've missed any part of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash cancer to download this podcast and others in this series. Thanks again for listening.